0: Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this, of course, is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. Before we start, I'd like to address something I noticed with the feed— I don't know if it's just with Apple's podcast app or iTunes, but I've noticed that the episodes appear to be numbered according to how many are currently available in the feed. And this can be kind of confusing because the aside numbers conflict with the numbers I give the episodes. And while I was researching the problem, I read something about Apple preferring that you don't number your episodes for some reason. I think it's a relatively new policy that they've implemented. I think you still can number them, but uh, I don't know if the conflict I'm seeing has something to do with uh, something they're doing. So, I might ditch adding numbers to the episode titles for now. I contemplated doing away with tracking the episodes chronologically altogether, but I think it's kind of fun to keep track and be able to celebrate certain milestones, like, uh, say, when I hit episode 400 or 500, etc. I'll probably reach out to Podbean and see if they can shed any light on it, too, and speaking of Podbean, I don't know what's going on, but I've noticed a dip in my numbers over the last month or so. I don't know if they changed their algorithm, or if people have just lost interest, uh, or if it's something on Apple's end. But hey, tell your friends to uh to uh, check out the show. Okay, <laughs> anyway. And if you were wondering, I believe this is episode 345. Anyway, onward. So, uh, wow, um... I've been thinking a lot about animals recently. That that probably sounds kind of like a, an odd non-sequitur or whatever. But I have been. And I've actually been meaning to do a whole episode on animal welfare. I actually did one a long time ago. Early on into the history of the show, I did an episode, I believe I entitled... Um, did I just say entitled weird? Anyway, I believe I entitled... God bless the animals. And no, I wasn't religious back then. I was still a non-believer. But I think I I talked about my own feelings about uh, animals, animal welfare. And I even went into what perhaps the Bible suggests about how we should be treating animals. And if you're wondering what brought this on, well, I, I definitely consider myself an animal lover. Um... I think there was a point for me. I talked about this on the show before. I think probably when I was in my late teens into my early twenties, around the same t- same time, I started getting the really bad headaches, and I was also kind of going through a lot, maybe mentally and emotionally, as in kind of a dark or a rough place. And I, re- I remember um, it's around the time, you know, I was really closing the book on any kind of literal belief. In Christianity. And I guess you could say I was kind of looking for something to fill the void. I was kind of a seeker. And maybe in a way I still am, you know. And that's when I first started really exploring Eastern philosophy and spirituality, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, stuff like that. And uh, maybe it had something to do with the reverence for life, all life, this general doctrine or attitude of compassion that you find in Buddhism that kind of helped me awaken more to the plight of animals or, um, helped me develop a deeper appreciation for animals, other life forms. And, uh, also it was like, uh, I kind of noticed the family dog for the first time, I think, or not for the first time, but like all, cause even as a, a little kid, I think, you know, I, I liked animals like most kids do, but I think there was something therapeutic for me in, uh, taking care of the family dog and, and things like that. And just around that time, I started to really develop a, a deeper appreciation for animals, And as much as I tend to criticize religion on this show, um, I do think in fairness that studying Eastern philosophy and religion did have a lot to do with this kind of new or deepening attitude of respect towards, you know, life. And uh, I'm not proud of it, but I went from being someone who maybe if I was bored and and saw, you know, like an anthill at my feet, might stamp on it or something and really that like horrifies me now uh not to sound melodramatic the you know thinking about that I could ever be like that I went from that to being someone who would go out of their way and I'm, I'm still this way where if I see a caterpillar or some kind of insect you know on um on a concrete pathway or somewhere where it might get trampled, I'll go out of my way to gently guide it onto a leaf and put it somewhere where it won't get hurt. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, Eastern studying Eastern religion, specifically, uh, Buddhism had a lot to do with that. And I, I learned a lot in general from studying Buddhism that I've kind of incorporated into my my core philosophy on life, even though I might not believe in things like Bodhisattvas or reincarnation or, you know, different Buddha lands or whatever, literally, um, stuff like being aware of the transience of everything, um, learning to cultivate a sense of detachment. Um, and, uh, learning to diminish the ego, you know, I mean, just to, to some degree. And for a lot of people, I think the word detachment has certain negative connotations, but Buddhist detachment, I think, is a very positive thing. And uh, it doesn't mean that you don't get, well, I don't want to get into a whole digression about egolessness, um, it, you know, because if you want to get really zen about it, there should be no one who's actually being mindful of anything. Everything just is a kind of undifferentiated oneness. And that reminds me of the um, the special or the little documentary episode on Schopenhauer I did, uh, where we talked about his uh, kind of affinity for Eastern religion and philosophy. But I think Buddhists detachment is positive in the sense that should be kind of infused with a spirit of compassion uh, if that makes sense. but man am I digressing how'd I get on this? Oh yeah so um recently in the news everyone's probably heard about those awful uh, Australian bushfires and I think is it 24 people who died I, I I've been keeping, track of the death toll that that was kind of a morbid sentence um but yeah i think it's like 24 people or something like that but and this number seems so surreal a billion animals and i've actually been trying not to look too deeply into it because i know i'll just get bummed out and disturbed if i see images of uh you know what these fires are doing to you know koalas and kangaroos and everything else. Um, and and uh, I actually just Googled it. Uh, it seems as of 13 hours ago, the human death toll is up to 27. And yeah, it says a billion animals may have been killed. And that tends to leave me uncharacteristically speechless. I don't even know how to wrap my head around that. A billion animals. Uh, and what like what a hellish way to go, too, too. Um, I imagine, you know, dying in agony, either being burned alive or uh, probably dying from smoke inhalation or whatever, but just uh, absolutely awful. And before I forget, while I'm still on this topic, uh, I saw a couple of comments I liked from a couple of friends and listeners to a Uh, a link I posted on the Weekend Out Facebook page. It was a link to, I'm trying to think if it was a Patheos article or not, but it was about a Mormon group that was claiming responsibility for the rains that were, you know, coming down on these fires. They they were claiming that their prayers uh, were responsible for the rains. And Uh, Friend and listener Russ Ray said, Don't you just love when your god devastates the planet, but then backslides and does a nice thing because he loves you again? And then, uh, um, I used to mention Russ on the show all the time, so I don't think he has a problem with me using his name, uh, Leanne Backstrom, I don't know if she minds me, uh, using her name, I don't even know if she's still keeping up with every episode or not, but, uh, we still interact on the Weekend Out Facebook page, and, uh, apologies ahead of time, Leanne, if, uh, you didn't want me to mention your name, but she's, and she's in Australia, and she says, and they're doing a shit job, there's still a ton of, uh, ton of out-of-control fires. So yeah, I mean, if uh, if these measly rains uh, that really haven't done jack to stop these horrific fires are all, you know, your God can muster up or his reward for your prayer, then not too impressive. And I'm actually debating with myself now whether I want to go in the direction I had planned where I cover some different news stories or, or if I want to make this the animal episode. I don't know. Maybe I'll quickly go through the other um, news stories. So this past week marked the fifth anniversary. Uh, that sounds kind of weird. Uh, definitely a dark anniversary of the uh, Charlie is it Charlie or Charlie Hebdo uh, massacre. Remember that when the uh, these Islamic extremists murdered a bunch of uh, cartoonists in France because they had, uh, you know, uh, had published um, these kind of satirical illustrations of the Prophet Muhammad and that sort of thing. And maybe I'll read a little bit from this BBC article and it's dated January 7th. Charlie Hebdo, France marks five years since Paris Massacre. France is marking the fifth anniversary of a deadly attack on the satirical magazine, Charlie Hebdo, with street ceremonies and social media tributes. The hashtag, Je suis Charlie. I probably totally butchered that. That's one of the few French phrases I'm actually familiar with. Je suis. Uh, <laughs> I am Charlie. Um, if there's any French listeners you know, listening, pardon my barbaric <laughs> pronunciations. And remember, uh, uh, wow, this is a crazy digression. But I read my Ancestry.com results on uh, on the show not that long ago, and I, I always thought I was predominantly Italian and Irish. And, uh, and according to the results, I was almost 40% French, which kind of made sense because a large part of my Italian ancestry comes from northern Italy up by the Alps. Uh, but uh, they revised my results, which I guess they do, and I couldn't believe how <laughs> drastic the change was. They brought the French down to about 10%, and it actually said uh, um, 33% um, Scottish and Irish, and then uh, 33% Italian, and then um, the uh, another big chunk was uh, English and Welsh, Um But anyway, maybe I'll blame the small proportion of my French ancestry uh, for being responsible for my inability to properly pronunciate uh, French. Um, Anyway, but the the hashtag, Je suis Charlie, uh, or is it Charlie? I don't know. I don't know. Was trending as thousands posted messages honoring the victims. On the 7th of January, 2015, militant Islamists shot dead 11 people in the magazine's Paris office before murdering a policeman outside. I remember that was extremely disturbing because I think there was actually footage of one of the terrorists on their way back to the getaway vehicle, I think, stopping to shoot I think he may have already been wounded. Uh, a police officer who was basically just crawling on the ground, you know prone and helpless, shooting the guy dead execution style. Really disturbing. And then uh, I think shortly after that, there was uh, an attack on um, wasn't it a Jewish uh, delicatessen or grocery store or something like that? As they said, there was these kind of, wa- there was this wave of jihadist attacks. And wow, this is taking me back to what seems like another time, like a different epoch or whatever in the history of the show. Remember when uh, Islamic terrorism was just constantly in the news and we were constantly hearing about different attacks and stuff? And that was a big topic for, you know, atheist content creators and people were, you know, uh, there there was a split in the community even then where some people were claiming that, oh, you know, you're Islamophobic if you harp on this stuff and there's arguments and fights over that or whatever. And uh, it, it was kind of an early example of that divide in the so-called atheist community, where you have the uh, the PC people on the one side and the anti-PC people on the other side or whatever. And uh, I remember Wow. Yeah, this was kind of like a pivotal time, and uh, this takes me back to the moment when Dave Rubin, Jimmy Dore, and Ben Mankiewicz were kind of uh, clashing over uh, Charlie Hebdo, and uh, t- to be fair, I believe Jimmy and Dave Rubin were basically on the, the same side of the argument, I think. And uh, I had I had always kind of liked Ben Mankiewicz. I thought he was a good guy. I kind of liked his sense of humor. And I've mentioned ad nauseum on the show how one of the first podcasts I ever downloaded, you know, was The Young Turks. And I used to watch them all the time. I used to listen to the audio-only podcast all the time. And this was around the time where I kind of became somewhat disillusioned with them. And an example of what caused that was kind of this clash between Ben Mankiewicz and Dave Rubin, uh, especially. And uh, Dave Rubin, and I'll just say, like, Dave Rubin, uh, (laughs) I don't even know what to say. You know, I sympathized with Dave Rubin when all this went down, when he left the Young Turks. But I did not predict him leaning as heavily to the right, you know, as he has. Uh, So I pretty much, um, you know, I've just, I've had enough of the whole intellectual dark web thing and all that stuff. So I kind of, I, I have started listening to the Young Turks again and watching them on YouTube here and there. But I kind of... Try to implement or maintain a kind of healthy skepticism or objectivity when I'm uh, when I'm watching or listening to them. Uh, I mean, ideologically, uh, I align with them on most things, but still, I, I try to be wary of you know uh, a kind of echo chamber effect or anything like that. And I pretty much steer clear of Dave Rubin altogether nowadays. You know. But I do remember that very awkward kind of encounter where, uh, as I described it, like Ben Mankiewicz, who I I always thought, like I said, you know, was this really nice kind of funny guy, kind of uh, laid back, uh, maybe uh, neurotic a bit, which I can relate to. Uh, But um, I remember him when Dave Rubin and Jimmy Dore were kind of, you know, defending free speech and defending the right of the Charlie Hebdo artist to, you know, ex- express themselves and satirize um, the Prophet Muhammad, et cetera, that Mankiewicz got really pissed off and he was kind of slamming his hand on the desk and talking about all these poor Muslim people around the world who didn't deserve to have their faces rubbed in it like this, and have you know these mean cartoonists <laughs> lampooning their their prophet or whatever. And uh, as uh, a non-believer, an atheist, technically agnostic atheist, whatever you know, and as someone who, as something of an artist myself, you know has has a great deal of a of sympathy. Or or whatever for uh, artists and and their their right to express themselves and for the, the right of uh, the for the freedom of expression in general, um, I completely sided and still do with the Charlie Hebdo artists, and uh, if anything, I mean you could possibly say that in a way, Ben Mankiewicz was kind of infantilizing uh, Muslims around the world. Like, he had to stick up for all the Muslims of the world because these mean cartoonists were, you know, lampooning their prophet. And in a way, I kind of get it. Yeah, if I stop to picture some poor Muslim sheepherder or something somewhere <laughs> in the other side of the world who literally believes in his faith and, uh, you know, isn't harming anyone, and uh, he hears about you know, someone satirizing or making fun of his prophet, or if he sees one of these images, I kind of, yeah, I can see how um, that might make the person feel bad. And that makes me kind of feel bad thinking about it. But it's like, come on, man, as someone who believes in secular values and doesn't want to see the whole world fall into some, you know, dark, superstitious. Uh, religious haze or whatever, you know, we should be working to climb our way out of that haze, not uh, capitulating to religion and people who insist on taking these man-made faith claims literally. You know, it's... We should be fighting for the right to be able to call bullshit on religion and to be able to criticize religion the way we criticize any other Belief system or opinion or what have you. I mean, save your vilifying for the people who literally murdered a bunch of artists for some cartoons, you know, not the artists themselves, these poor dead people. Um, and in fairness to Ben Mankiewicz, I don't think he was suggesting that they shouldn't have, you know, the right or shouldn't be able to. create or publish these kind of um, controversial or inflammatory uh, political cartoons, but he just thought it was mean and hurtful or whatever. Me personally, I'm like, satirize religion till the cows come home, you know? Um, It's up to other people to develop a thicker skin and realize that not everyone shares your same belief. And everyone has the right to be offended, but you don't have the right to storm your way into a newspaper office and butcher a bunch of unarmed cartoonists. You know, it's insanity. And this will actually allow me to kind of segue nicely into the next topic. Because I was going to say how it kind of sucks how everything has to be made into a political football. You know, and this leads me into... uh, Ricky, Ricky Gervais and the, uh, his golden globes. Um, was it the golden globes? Yeah. The golden globes monologue he he did. It was just crazy. What a political football that was turned into online. I'm like, do we have to fight about everything that, <laughs> you know, to me as a non-believer, you know, well, I like Ricky Gervais. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a good comedian. Um, I, I like people who have, you know, an inappropriate, inappropriate sense of humor, um, and I've, I've always liked him. And, and I mean, I liked him all the better when I found out he was also, you know, a fellow non-believer, an atheist, whatever. And, uh, it was pretty cool. You know, I remember, uh, I think he sat down with Dawkins and did this, you know, they had, they had this conversation that was interesting. Um, and that was kind of a weird, you know, comic book crossover. See, getting to see Dawkins and Ricky Gervais have a conversation. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, I do have a Twitter account for the show, but I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. I will use it to, you know, announce the release of, uh, you know, the latest episode or something like that. Or if someone um, reaches out to me on Twitter, I will reply to them. Sometimes I'll tweet the link to an interesting article or something. But I know a, a lot of people. Twitter kind of brings out the worst in them. Uh, brings out their inner troll there's a whole lot of feuding and fighting that takes place on twitter and i don't really get into that you know and uh i guess ricky gervais does and uh i guess for some he's been he's become kind of a standard bearer for the anti-pc types you know and I do get why some people are offended by some of the things he's said recently. Uh, I think both he and Dave Chappelle have, you know, made kind of politically incorrect trans jokes and things like that. And I can't remember if I discussed Dave Chappelle's stand-up special on the show, his his last special. Because uh, I did watch it, and I got why people were offended by, you know, the the trans bit he did or whatever. Um, I mean, and to be honest, I think I probably did laugh at that part. Not because I agree with his view, but just because of his delivery and how outlandish the scenario was. Basically, what he did was uh, he compared being trans to being a black man trapped, you know, claiming to be a black man trapped in in a Chinese man's body. And his delivery is just, you know, so over the top and irreverent. Yeah, it's you know, it, it, the delivery kind makes you laugh. But no, I, I do not believe that those are the... I think I may have talked about this on the show. I do not believe that uh, those two things are analogous uh, or comparable. I think... Um, And that's kind of, what's the other thing the kind of anti-PC people like to say? They make the attack helicopter joke. Uh, Oh, you know, what? Can people just identify as anything they want? I identify as an attack helicopter, you know? I believe, just like I, 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 although, you know, there can be cultural factors, I tend to believe that sexual orientation is probably biological to a certain degree. And I think uh, being trans, probably is too. I think we know what is it in the, um, in, in utero, in the womb, we all start out as kind of basically female or neutral kind of, right? And it's uh, both our, our genes, our, you know, our chromosomes, are we XX or XY, and the uh, exposure to certain sex hormones uh, that determine whether we're male or female. And so there's all sorts of variations that occur. You know, you can have someone who biologically looks like a woman on the outside, but, in, you know, there's a chromosomal difference and they lack ovaries, etc. I think it's very well possible that you can have essentially a male brain inside a female body or a female brain inside a male body. So I think there most likely is a biological component. And even if there wasn't, even if it was just a matter of choice, to me, you know, it's like, do you, man, uh, or woman, or woe man, you know, identify with whatever gender you feel compelled to identify with and more power to you. And I don't think people should be, you know, ridiculed or mocked for that. But all the more so if it is biological, because can you imagine how rough it must be just, you know, going through life feeling like you're in the wrong body or that your your biological sex doesn't match how you self-identify. And uh, on top of it, you have to deal with ridicule and the and the rest of it. Now, I'm not so politically correct that, you know, I'm gonna throw Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais under the bus. I still love both of them as comedians and I love inappropriate humor, but, um, I get why some people might be offended by, you know, certain jokes or whatever. But like I was saying with Charlie Ebdo, you know, uh, people should have the right to offend and people should also have the right to be offended. And, uh, we can kind of hash it out in the, um, the public forum of ideas or however you want to, uh, word it, you know? And I know I mentioned Dawkins, uh, you know, his exchange with Ricky Gervais or whatever uh, a little while ago. And Dawkins is another example of it's it's kind of sad, you know, uh, even though I'm not a joiner, you know, what I mean, Um, I kind of try to eschew groupthink, uh, different forms of tribalism, etc. Still, You know, it's kind of sad to see the quote-unquote atheist community and my fellow non-believers divided over uh, these big leading lights, these people like Ricky Gervais and Richard Dawkins. Uh, Of course, you know, hey, what are you going to do? I mean, these people have waded out into, uh, you know, and gotten into the the political trenches, so there's going to be fallout and there's going to be uh, division, you know? And to be really honest, brutally honest, the whole kind of, you know, that whole schism, the PC versus the anti-PC uh, group or whatever, the, as a content creator, that that's probably one of the most nerve-wracking things about hosting this podcast to me. Because uh, when I started this podcast, uh, it wasn't meant to be political at all. It was just me, uh, you know, exploring my own unbelief and wrestling with the big existential questions you know what i mean and if things did get political it would usually be at the intersection of religion and politics or social issues like abortion or gay rights or things like that where people's religious beliefs inform their views on those things and my pushing back against that you know But I didn't foresee this uh, schism over political correctness within, once again, the quote-unquote community. Uh, So, yeah, sometimes it can feel like quite the uh, balancing act, you know, uh, trying to... Be myself and be honest with myself and you guys, uh, at the same time, hoping that something that flies out of my mouth doesn't, you know, offend uh, a listener on either side of the divide. But I guess all you can do is be yourself, and uh, I guess hope people uh, dig your honesty. You know what I mean? Uh But to bring the focus back specifically to Ricky Gervais' monologue at this most recent uh, Golden Globes uh, Awards, I believe there was one part in particular that kind of became internet fodder or whatever. He was basically irreverently addressing the celebrities in the room saying, no one cares about your phony political speeches. Come up here, accept your little reward, thank your God, and all that, you know, I mean, and um, I, mean, I was watching uh, Cult of Dusty's reaction to that, and I, I almost felt like he was taking Ricky Gervais a little too literally or something like that. He thought Ricky Gervais was kind of promoting, thanking God or something, but the... the. Uh, gist that I got, um, in which I appreciate as a fellow non-believer, I felt like he was being kind of intentionally condescending, you know, as a non-believer. I don't know how many people in the room knew, you know, know that he's an atheist, but he was like, come up here. Thank your God. You know, he didn't say thank God. He said, thank your God, you know, and I kind of appreciated that. Um, but, uh, I I actually, just as a reverent humor, and you know how kind of dark and edgy and it was, and how he's kind of trying to take the piss. I kind of appreciated that part of the monologue, but at the same time, I was still able to appreciate some of the sentiments shared by uh, some of the celebrities during their acceptance speeches. And full disclosure, I don't really go in for award shows; they're not my thing. But I did see some clips online of certain celebrities uh, giving their, you know, giving their acceptance speeches. And this kind of brings things full circle because one of the uh, one of those aforementioned celebrities was Joaquin Phoenix. And as you may or may not know already, he's actually vegan, and this is funny because I started out, you know, this episode talking about animals, and what was partially responsible uh, for my kind of uh, current preoccupation with uh, <laughs> with animal welfare was uh, I watched a series of documentaries. I started out watching. uh, There's a lot of uh, buzz surrounding that Netflix documentary, The Game Changers. I don't know if you guys have heard of it or not. Um, It's basically, uh, essentially, it's a vegan documentary. Uh, The guy behind it, uh, I forget his first name. His last name is Wilkes. I can't believe I'm I'm blanking out on that. But actually, I like the guy. And uh, he's a mixed martial uh, artist. And I guess the narrative of the of the documentary, or, you know, the kind of tale it tells, uh is that uh is the story of how when he was injured while sparring or fighting or something like that, uh during his downtime he did a lot of reading about nutrition and uh you know was was looking for ways to help uh himself heal faster. And he he discovered that uh that a plant-based diet was supposedly healthier and that a lot of athletes, including uh, supposedly ancient gladiators, and there's a lot of contention surrounding this. Um, and this has become the subject of uh, online debate. Were the gladiators predominantly, uh, how should I put it? Or did they predominantly adhere to a plant-based diet? And I just looked it up. James Wilkes, that's the guy's name. And uh, you guys thought the uh, anti-PC versus the PC people, or you know the SJWs versus the uh, anti-SJWs. You thought all that was bad. Uh, you should enter the the online world of uh, vegans versus meat eaters. Wow. And I have to admit, I've totally jumped down that rabbit hole. I've been binge watching uh, these debates between uh, vegans and non-vegans, etc. And I will, I'll just say 100%, my sympathies lie or lay with the vegans. I myself am not vegan. And I have to admit, I was pretty kind of uh, uninformed, I guess, uh, about veganism in general, I mean, I always I knew that veganism was like a step beyond vegetarianism. You know, vegetarians still ate uh, some animal products like dairy and eggs, et cetera, um, but obviously, you know, abstain from eating meat. And vegans don't eat any animal uh, products. And one thing I wasn't really um, aware of is the ethical component of. Veganism—it's not just a diet; it's an ethical worldview. And to be honest, I remember I used to wonder, you know, hmm, you know, why do they uh, avoid dairy and eggs too? You know, what's that all about? And uh, yeah, it's not just for health reasons. It's um, well, it has directly to do with animal welfare. I think a long time ago on that episode I mentioned at the top of the show, I did that episode, God bless the animals, way back in the day. I think I talked about some disturbing things I had seen, you know, that really bothered me. And uh, one of them was uh, maceration. Basically, uh, you know, you would think, you would think, hey, you know, I'm being a good person by... uh You know, all right, I won't eat meat, but I'll still let myself have eggs and milk. You know, that's not hurting anyone, you know. Uh, But as it turns out, the meat industry and, you know, the egg and dairy industries, they're all interconnected, they're all uh, intertwined. And uh, male animals, especially, do not uh, fare very well. Because in those businesses, it's the female animals that really earn you your money. The uh, milk-producing cows, the egg-laying hens. They only need enough males, uh, you know, for breeding. Um, Beyond that, it's just, you know, a surplus of uh, unnecessary animals or whatever. And so, yeah, I talked about this uh, way back in that episode, that... uh, I mean what's cuter than a baby chick you know we all love those little fuzzy yellow guys you know and i can remember being a kid you know at easter time i, I my mother used to talk about how back in her day at easter parents would actually give their children little chicks um and i used to want i used to want to pet a pet a little fuzzy chick i uh, never got one which is probably f- for the best uh, <laughs> um uh, i I do have an older brother who actually had a pet chicken at one point you know when when we were young but uh anyway I digress the uh the fluffy little chicks they do what's called uh, sexing the chick or whatever <laughs> sounds kind of uh provocative but uh, I remember I remember, what's his name from dirty jobs micro yeah micro he did an episode where they they showed that. And they should like someone like almost like a deck of cards, someone just quickly shuffling through a bunch of baby chicks, like putting them in different bins or whatever. The female chicks are kept because they're going to lay eggs. And, and uh, the male, like I said, they only need a small number of males for breeding. So most of the male chicks uh, are subjected to a process they call maceration basically thrown into some crazy like wood chipper kind of thing, like, a some nightmare device with spinning blades. Uh, and they're basically shre- literally just shredded alive to, you know, um, killed instantly, uh, with at least hope for their sake, it's instantaneous. And, uh, I, I, so I watched the game changers and that led me into watching other documentaries. Um, and one of the documentaries I watched showed maceration as well. Showed all these fluffy little cute baby chicks just being tossed, you know, nonchalantly into this machine that just shreds them to, to nothing. It's just blood and feathers or whatever, you know? And yeah, so even if you think you're being... Ethical by only eating eggs and not meat. You still got the blood of baby chicks on your hands, I guess. It's awful. And then uh, something similar in the case uh, of cows. They only need so many male cows. The the female cows are all artificially inseminated. Um, So so it's not like they need a lot of male uh, cows around. So uh, soon after birth, uh, they take... They usually take the male cow, oh, I male cow, yeah. Well, it's ca- the plural is cattle, right? It's uh, cow is by definition female. The, the females are cows. Uh, I think they call the uh, male babies, I think they're called bobby calves or bobby calves, uh, something like that. And, th- and this is just really sad. So usually, you know, naturally the baby would hang around, and its mother would nurse it; it'd be drinking its mother's milk. But they want the milk for the humans, not the babies who it's by nature meant for. So the babies are taken away; the calves are taken away from their mother uh, soon after birth. And there's this like heartbreaking footage of a male, uh, a, a, of a, a mother cow, like trotting. Desperately after a truck that's pulling away with the babies in the back of it, um, so they actually, yeah. So you're you're disrupting the natural order. Um, you're you're taking the baby away, and uh, the mother knows. The the I think I believe they were saying that the the mother can identify the sound of their own calf, and uh, yeah, just the sight of that mother cow running after uh, a truck full of you know, uh, babies or whatever, knowing that hers was on there, um, and then you know the male cows uh, they become veal or uh, you know they get to grow up a little, and then ultimately it's to the slaughterhouse you go. Uh, and the female cows, uh, you know, we probably all have this idyllic image of a father, of a father, yeah, of a farmer on sitting on a uh, wooden stool, you know, gently milking a cow. But it looks more like something from The Matrix, you know, like all the cat cow- on these factory farms, the cows are all hooked up to these machines and these little um compartments side by side you know almost like racks of metal racks full of cows side by side getting uh constantly milked and um when uh they're too old to to be really viable for continued milk production off to the slaughterhouse you go with them too so it's like milk and eggs you still got blood on your hands it's like oh man And there were, uh, you know, myriad other horrors I saw in those documentaries. Some far more worse and gruesome. But, uh... uh, (laughs) You're probably not looking forward to me uh, covering that. But I'll probably save all that for uh, when I do that specific episode. Um, Because I think think I've heard Sam Harris say that. You know, the really... I I still eat some meat. But I'm trying to make some changes. And... um, as I said, my sympathies lie or lay with the, with the vegans. It sounds like I'm talking about alien. There, I was going to talk about a car, Japanese cartoon I used to watch as a kid, and there were bad guys called the, uh, the Vegan Empire or something like that, or vegans. But uh, um, I'm down with the vegans. I myself am not vegan yet. Will I become vegan someday? I don't know. But I think morally, it's really hard to defend meat uh eating meat um i mean wh- i i don't want to get into it now but you know morally it's 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 hard to defend what's the best you know explanation you can come up with that uh hey it tastes good uh nature wants us you know it's it's the food chain we're supposed to do it um or, or that, oh no, we need it to survive. Uh, I think I don't think you don't need to eat meat to survive unless there's some disorder or something that I'm not aware of. Um, even B12, I don't want to get into the whole B12 debate, but uh, I think it's, it's hard to defend it morally, you know. And actually, like a long time ago, I saw uh, undercover footage, you know, of... Uh, how pigs are treated on factory farms. And I actually gave up pork after that. And I, I kind of backslid a couple of times. But for the most part, I mean, I I almost hardly ever eat pork. And after watching these most recent documentaries, I've sworn off beef. And I was almost gonna completely sw- swear off poultry too. But I'm trying, you know, ease my way into it. I, I still eat like a little bit of like thin sliced Turkey here and there on whole grain bread. Um, uh, a little bit of chicken, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm wrestling with it. It's uh I definitely have a guilty conscience and, uh, you know, but I've spent a lifetime eating meat. And so, uh, there's the, the tension, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, navigate my way. Um, and it's funny, uh, I was thinking about ending the show by kind of reacting to actual audio of Ricky Gervais' uh, Golden Globes monologue. And uh, he's actually, I, I had an inkling that he might be like vegetarian or vegan. I just tried to look it up. He might be vegetarian with people urging him to go vegan. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, coincidence and in how things came kind of back around once again. But yeah, I think I will close things out by listening to uh, Ricky uh, (laughs) Gervais' monologue. And so I just popped my headphones in so I'm not recording. You know, there's not an echo or whatever. So here we go.
1: Hello, and welcome to the 77th Annual Golden Globe Awards, live from the Beverly Hilton Hotel here in Los Angeles. I'm Ricky Gervais. Thank you. Um, You'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so (laughs) I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. Um, NBC clearly don't care either. Fifth time. So, (laughs) I mean, Kevin Hart was fired from the Oscars because of some offensive tweets. Hello. (laughs) Lucky for me, the Hollywood foreign press can barely speak English, and... They've no idea what Twitter is, so I got offered this gig by fax. So, let's go out with a bang, let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? <laughs> remember, they're just jokes. We're all gonna die soon, and there's no <laughs> sequel. So... Huh. Yeah, remember that. Um, but you all look lovely, all dolled up, you came here in your limos. I came here in a limo tonight, and the license plate was made by Felicity Huffman. <laughs> so no shush it's her it's her daughter i feel sorry for okay that must be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to her and her dad was in wild hogs so lots of big is that that tim allen George volta movie icons yeah look at this table alone uh al pacino robert de niro but Baby Yoda, <laughs> oh that's, that's Joe Pesci, sorry, um, I love you man, don't have me whacked, um, but tonight isn't just about the people in front of the camera, in this room are some of the most important TV and film executives in the world, people from every background, but they all have one thing in common, they're all terrified of Ronan Farrow, he's coming for you, he's coming for you, look, talking of all you perverts, it was a big year, it was a big year for paedophile movies. Um, surviving R. Kelly, Leaving Neverland, Two Popes. <laughs> shut up, shut up. I don't oh. care, I don't care. Many talented people of color were snubbed in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. So, fifth time, so. We were gonna do an in-memoriam this year, but when I saw the list of people that had died, it wasn't diverse enough. It just... <laughs> no. It was mostly white people, and I thought, nah, not on my watch. So, <laughs> maybe next year. Let's, let's see what happens. No one cares about movies anymore. No one goes to the cinema. No one really watches network TV. Everyone's watching Netflix. This show should just be me coming out, going, well done, Netflix, you win everything, Good night." But no, no, we've got to drag it out for three hours. You could binge watch the entire first season of Afterlife instead of watching this show. That, that's a show about a man who wants to kill himself because his wife dies of cancer and it's still more fun than this, okay? <laughs> Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way. So in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself. Just like Jeffrey Epstein. Shut up. I know he's your friend, but I don't (laughs) care You like to make your own way here in your own plane didn't you right but seriously most films are awful lazy remakes Sequels, I've heard a rumor that there might be a sequel to Sophie's Choice (laughs) I mean that would just be Meryl Streep going well, it's got to be this one then All the best actors have jumped to Netflix and HBO, you know, and the actors who just do Hollywood movies now do fantasy adventure nonsense. They wear masks and capes and really tight costumes. Their job isn't acting anymore, it's going to the gym twice a day and taking steroids, really. Have we got, a, have we got an award for most ripped junkie? No. No point. We know we'd win that. Um, Martin Scorsese, the greatest living director, made the news for his controversial comments about the Marvel franchise. He said they're not real cinema and uh, they remind him of theme parks. I agree. Although, I don't know what he's doing hanging around theme parks. He's not big enough to go on the rides, is he? <laughs> it's tiny. Right. The Irishman was amazing. It was amazing. Um, that, it was. My, fa- my it was great uh, it was bizarre long but amazing um, the CGI the de-aging movie, crap. once upon a time in Hollywood nearly three hours long Leonardo DiCaprio attended the premiere and by the end his date was too old for him <laughs> so, even Prince Andrew's like come on Leo mate you know You're nearly 50, son. Um, The world got to see James Corden as a fat pussy. (laughs) He was also in the movie Cats, but no one saw that. Um, And the reviews, oh, shocking. I saw one that said, this is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs. But Dame Judi Dench defended the film, saying it was the role she was born to play, because she... I can't do this next joke. <laughs> because she loves nothing better than plonking herself down on the carpet, lifting her leg, and licking her... Own.
0: I think that was uh, her own ass. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <throat> furball, furball. She's old school. Um, It's the last time. Who cares? Oh. Apple roared into the the TV game with a morning show. Oh, here we go. A superb drama. Yeah.
0: (laughs) This is brutal.
1: A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, Tim you (laughs) say, you in the audience. you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, (laughs) if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, Uh. if you win, right? Come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God and I
0: don't
1: know what there uh... So it's already three hours long. Right, let's do the first award. The first award The first award is for best actor in a television series, musical or comedy. To present the award are a couple of actors off the telly. What can I say? Jennifer (laughs) Aniston and Reese Witherspoon.
0: Okay. (laughs) So there it was. You know, it's uh, what to make of it is up to you. Uh, Obviously, I I enjoyed uh, certain moments there. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, you guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. Uh, You can follow the show on Twitter. Yeah, I already explained how I'm not... I don't do too much on there, but I'm there a little. Uh, You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget, the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. It's been a while since I did that. Um, Or more preferably. uh, Well, either way, I'm not going to say what's more preferable. I'll take uh, I'll, I'll take some uh, money anyway I can get it. Uh, <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash theweekendoubt and uh, support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. Um, get uh, access to all sorts of bonus content. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.